Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, including those of you that are watching online, including Facebook Live, to our fifth and final message entitled, Joshua, Possess Your Tomorrows. Why don't we go ahead and welcome one another right now, the campuses, and again, St. Timothy Parish Jail and Orleans Justice Center, we're so glad that you're with us. Well, we are in for a real treat this morning. We have a dear friend of ours. I'm not going to call him a guest because he's been with us so many times. And we have the privilege of having him in about once every a year and a half to two years, and we'd like to have him more. It is uh, Pastor Brett Fuller, who is from uh, Grace, Co Grace Covenant Church. Uh, Y'all give it up for Pastor Brett, yes. In the Washington, D.C. area. A great pastor, a great dad. He and his wife, uh, Cynthia, have seven children, so he's also a phenomenal dad. Yes, you ought to get an award for that, his wife especially. And, uh, but he has got a great message for you. So I'm going to ask those of you at the Little Creek Campus, why don't you go ahead and stand up. Let's show some love and honor to Pastor Brett Fuller as he comes and brings the word. Well, it is always great to be with you. I love you as a people. When I come here, I really feel like I'm home. And your staff is so accommodating. Your hospitality is second to none. I love Pastor Steve and Jennifer and Doug, Ben, and Randy, and the entire group. Just makes me feel like I don't want to go home. Of course, they take me to Dakota, and I really don't want to leave the <laughs> restaurant or the city. Uh, those little oyster things you do with the grilling and the butter and the garlic and oh god we ordered like 12 last night for four of us and I ate more than half and I'm not apologizing for it I only come here every 18 months y'all get it every day I want to yeah so I'm glad to be with you and last night we had a wonderful time trying to figure out how we can interpret passages of scripture for our benefit. And we looked at the passage in, in Joshua that, that talked about the captain of the Lord of hosts introducing himself to Joshua and how Joshua needed to posture himself well. And I'm hoping that uh, the Holy Spirit does even more than he did last night for your benefit. So turn with me over to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Joshua, chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. And the title of the message is Possessing the Cities of Your Life. Possessing the Cities of Your Life. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, he said, no, rather indeed, rather I indeed now come as captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? Verse 15, the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Lord, help us as we study. There are three things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, God's unusual appearance to Joshua. Two, Joshua's misalignment. And three, how Joshua gets realigned, properly aligned. The background is that Joshua has come into the promised land with the people. They have crossed over the Jordan miraculously. 
There are many ways they could have crossed the Jordan, but God wanted to show Joshua and the people that, that he, meaning the Lord, was with Joshua as he was with Moses. And so the, the miraculous had to be uh, following up Joshua's leadership because the people, wow, yeah, for 40 years, they had the best leader ever, ever. Now we have lived a little bit longer and history has gone on. And so Jesus obviously was the best. But to that point, there was nobody better than Moses. Nobody. He took a group of people that weren't even interested in being a cohesive nation. They just wanted to be a large family. And he made them into something they didn't want to be. On top of that, those people not only didn't want to be what, what God wanted them to be, but they didn't even like the leadership that Moses was exerting in order to help them be what they didn't want to be. They didn't like Moses. They, they, all the time, they were trying to jettison him. We need to go back to Egypt. You're a really bad leader. What kind of leader leads his people to a box canyon? Hills on one side, hills on the other side, the Red Sea in front, and Pharaoh coming behind us trying to take us back. Didn't you think that maybe he might change his mind and try to, to, to recapture us? And Why didn't you think about that? And it really wasn't Moses who was leading. It was God. Moses was just following the cloud. And the Lord intentionally led him there. But they were blaming him all the time. We need to appoint a new guy. And we need to go back. We'd rather be slaves than follow your leadership. But, but Moses was able somehow to develop the patience and the kindness and the understanding. Even when God gave him an option when, when the Lord called Moses to the mountain and gave him the Ten Commandments and, and then the people down in the valley began to revel and, and party and, and do things they shouldn't do and then Moses went down, broke the ten, came back up. He, he, probably not a good idea to break the ten because he had to write the second set. <laughs> God wrote the first one, but Moses had to carve out the second set. <laughs> Why did I break those things? I mean, it was a, it was a profound moment. It was... <laughs> <laughs> goes back up and God says, you know what? I'm going to start over. I'm going to, I'm going to wipe all these folk out and start over with you. Now, you remember, these people hadn't had a pastor's appreciation month for Moses. They hadn't, they, no record of them ever saying thank you. Not celebrating his birthday. And they've tried to jettison his leadership at least two times since they've left Egypt. When they were in Egypt, they said this to him. After he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go and turn the water into blood and had a couple of plagues, Pharaoh said, I know what's wrong with your people. They're lazy. Yeah, they're going to have to make bricks without straw. You gather your own straw now and make bricks. Usually the Egyptians would give them straw and they didn't make it. He said, no, you got to go. And, and, and the, the Israelites looked at him and said, you call this help? You came here, and you said you were going to get us out of here, but you've made our life harder. We don't want you to be here. I mean, every opportunity that could have been a moment for them to express faith through their difficulty, they were trying to get rid of Moses. And now God is saying, I think it's a good idea to get rid of them. And you would think Moses would say, finally, we can get this thing done right. And then on top of that, God says to Moses, and I want to start over with you. 
Oh, that's a heady concept, isn't it? The Mosites. <laughs> and Moses says this, Lord, don't. The nations will say you were able to bring them out, but you were not able to bring them in. I beg you, don't. Wow. The greatest leader ever to this point, and probably second best ever to Christ. Everybody else had the table set. All the monarchs had the table set. Moses had nothing set. And now, here we have Joshua. Joshua was supposed to lead these people, and he's got no miracles in his resume. Zero. And everybody looks at Moses as being the guy, and they're looking at Joshua saying, what you got? Now, he was a great military commander. He led the, the, the armies out and, and, and won victories after one after another. But nothing of the miraculous. And so crossing the River Jordan was huge. The river stopped when the feet of the priests touched the water, and, and, and everybody was able to walk over on dry ground, and they pulled out stones from the river to, to commemorate that moment and, and realize God did a miracle for us, but it was under Joshua's direction by the word of the Lord. And so the people now knew that water thing that Moses did at the Red Sea, that was cool. But Joshua's done a similar thing. Oh, God's with him just like he was with. And that's what God told Joshua in Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. Now, you don't tell that to a guy who is strong and courageous. You only tell it to a guy who's struggling with weakness and fear. And he's not struggling with weakness and fear with respect to trying to figure out how to occupy the land and vanquish the enemies that presently live there. That's not the issue. The issue is how am I going to prove that I'm worthy of their trust? These people don't know me like they knew him. I have nothing on my resume that commends me in the miraculous. I'm a good military leader, but that's not enough. He was scared. And four times in the first chapter, God says, be strong and courageous. Finally, then he says, only be strong and courageous. And I am with you, and I will prove it just like I was with Moses. So the River Jordan was huge. But God wanted to give more signs. He wanted to give more evidence that he was with his people and Joshua's leadership just as he was with Moses. And Jericho would be one of those moments. And here we have Joshua trying to figure out through military strategy how to conquer this city. Now, to give you some insight, we think that Jericho, which has been proven to be a city of antiquity, uh, the Washington Post and other uh, places you can find in articles on the Internet have said that Jericho, archaeologists have found it, and they said it really did exist, and that the walls came down in such a way that were unusual. They didn't fall this way, they didn't fall that way, they came this way. And generally, walls don't all fall straight down. And the city was not as large as some of our cartoons or movies make it to be. We think it was somewhere on the neighborhood of about six to ten acres in size. Not, not super, super big. So it was probably a military post that would guard the surrounding metropolitan area that was Jericho. But you had to conquer the military post before you could get the rest of the territory. And so Joshua after he crosses into the promised land, comes to this obstacle. Jericho's got to go. It's got to fall. 
And he does what he does best. He relies upon everything he's been trained to do militarily. Okay, let's get our men together. Let's get a strategy. Let's figure out how to make this thing happen. But the one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't seek God. We have no record of him asking, Lord, how would you like us to proceed? Why? Not because he's being rebellious. He just doesn't know it's necessary. And that he said, God already told me, go and possess the land. And I, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking the, the command he said, and I'm using what I know is best in my own arsenal of resources to make that happen. And I want to encourage you about something. That you all are a people that are going to help possess this city. God wants to do something really special with you all in this city. And this city needs your input. It needs what you have to bring to the table with respect to ministry and service. And when I talk about the city, I'm not talking about just Mandeville. I'm talking about the, the entire metropolitan New Orleans area. And I love it when a church has a vision to reach their metropolitan area. We do in our city. And fortunately, we are a church that has more influence than we used to. We're larger than we are small. And as a result, we can begin to, to leverage some things spiritually for the benefit of our city. Our city is about 6.8 million people. And we got a big task, but we realize this. We cannot win it alone. We need the rest of the body of Christ to help us in the process of winning our city. We have no delusions of grandeur, but we do know this, that we must do our part. And you all must do your part. And when I talk about helping to win the city, I realize that everybody who is a part of, of, of Church of the King may not feel like your specific effort today or tomorrow is going to be that which really adds a whole lot of value to the whole progress of winning the city. That everybody does what they do on a regular basis and you come to church and you go to small group and you're in men's group, women's group, children's ministry, serving in the, the parking lot. You're doing all those things, but you don't know exactly how that helps to win the city. And, and I, I live in the same environment. I tell my people all the time, this is our goal. This is what wakes me up in the morning. It is not to build a big church it is not to be a successful pastor. It's not to preach really well. How can I win my city? That's why I'm on the planet, to help Washington, D.C. bow its knee. But I realize I can't do that on my own, and our congregation can't do it on its own. We need a lot of help, but we need to do our part. But doing our part means this, that everybody needs to consider the things that they have stewardship over and the, the environments in which they must wield power as a city. Meaning that parents, you've got a, a, a group of people in your household that need loving conquering. <laughs> Challenges all the time that you've got. How am I going to see this wall fall? And you will employ the strategies that you have always employed, usually, in order to see it happen. Be careful. Be careful. Because what you can do with a two-year-old and telling them no, you can't do with a 17-year-old. <laughs> all you need is a Home Depot paint stick with a two-year-old. That's all you need. <laughs> when they're 17, you need prayer and fasting. <laughs> You better get on your face before God. You better seek him. You can't use the same strategies for your tomorrow. 
Now, Joshua was trying to figure out, how do I do Jericho? And he was doing everything he had always done that worked in the past. Not faulting him. But this was a new day. New opportunity. You better seek me, Joshua. And here, God comes. The captain of the Lord of hosts is an, is an Old Testament revelation of the Son of God. It's as God appearing as a man. Now, he has never appeared up to this point like this. He's spoken with Abraham, Isaac, Noah, but he's never appeared like this. And Joshua doesn't even recognize God. And when you are about to take territory you've never taken before, when you're about to advance beyond that which you've ever advanced, and new opportunities are open to you, and more, more resources and influence is, is about to be afforded, you've got to be careful because God may appear in different ways in order to see what's in your heart and to give you instruction that you didn't have otherwise. You better be careful. Don't just go like you've always gone. Seek him. Seek him. Because this entire moment was about changing the strategy that Joshua had in the beginning. Now, we don't know what that strategy was, but we do know that he was beginning to advance upon Jericho. And because he had not sought God, God had to come to him and say, hey, I'm here. Now, how did God appear <laughs> in a way that was unfamiliar? He showed himself as a warrior. And I think he did so to give Joshua instruction, one, and number two, to help him understand what was down on the inside of him, meaning what was on the inside of Joshua. Now, God knows what's on the inside of all of us. But we don't know what's on the inside of all of us. We don't even see ourselves properly. All the ladies out there will understand this. If you buy a mirror for your house, don't you find one that is slimming? You don't find one that makes you look bigger than you are, do you? You find those skinny mirrors. Why? Because you want to see yourself in a certain way. But instinctively, you understand this, that whatever you're looking at may not be the best representation of who you are because it depends on the refractory properties of the glass. The thickness, the way they made it, the kind of... I'm going to call it paint, but the kind of cover that they put on it that makes it reflective, all those things make you look either not the way you want or the way you want. Secondly, when you are looking at a mirror, you're looking at your right side of your face and your right side of your face. Your left side of your face and your left side of your face. When you look at a picture, it's switched. When somebody takes a photo of you, it's switched. Now your right side is on this side, what you're looking at, and your left side is on this side, what you're looking at. It's hard for us to recognize ourselves as we really are. Other people see us differently than we are. And so it's, it's impossible for us to get a really good picture of ourselves. The only one who can really show us who we are is God. That's it. He gives us a really good mirror. And if he showed us everything that we are, we would want to die. <laughs> because we are so messed up. We, are, we think wrong. We think we're really good because we compare ourselves to Hitler. <laughs> we always try to make ourselves feel better by looking at the absolute worst of humanity and saying, at least I'm not that. But who in the world tries to compare themselves to Mother Teresa? Nobody. I don't 
don't hear anybody saying, I'm like Billy Graham. No. Because all of us fall short of that. You talk about icons of spiritual maturity. Wow. But even they fell short of the pattern that God intended. And so we, we have to look at what God says. Here, the Lord shows up in a way that was so unusual to Joshua. He'd never seen him like this. But it revealed things on the inside of him that he hadn't seen before. And so here we have this warrior in front of Joshua. And, and, and it says that, that the warrior was opposite Joshua, or Joshua was opposite the captain of the Lord of hosts. Generally, that's not the way you want to be when God shows up. You don't want to be opposing him. You don't want to be opposite him. You want to be next to him. And when he shows up, it's not the preferred way for him to reveal himself with sword drawn. Warrior, I'd rather have sword sheathed if he's God. Because anybody who's got sword drawn, it means they're ready for battle. And not just ready, they are ready to engage somebody now. It would be analogous to a police officer having his revolver drawn, his, his, his 9 millimeter drawn. Why would he have it drawn? There's only one reason. He intends to use it. So when Joshua sees this man that he doesn't know is God, and he realizes this, he's not in my army either. There's not an Israelite that looks like him. So no Israelite, he's standing opposite me or me, him, and I'm right next to Jericho. I wonder, is this what we got to come up with against every tomorrow, the next day? Is, is this the kind of battle that we're going to have to engage? Because he's impressive. Joshua says, are you with us or are you against us? Are you for our adversaries or for us? To which God says beautifully, no. What a great answer. I mean, he can be pithy when he wants to, but that's beautiful right there. He doesn't even say neither. He just says no. Then he identifies himself. Now, when it's, Joshua's been 40 years being Moses' right-hand man in terms of war. When Moses said, we got to go defeat Bashan, king of Og, he sent Joshua. We had to go defeat Moab, he sent Joshua. Moses' right hand for war. He is no stranger to battle, and he knows how to carry himself well. I'm just really grateful that when God appeared with sword drawn, that Joshua did not engage him. And listen to me. Sometimes God will appear in a way that makes you think he's your enemy. Makes you think he's your enemy because he's not going along with your plan. Are you listening? Be careful. When you talk about taking the city, when you talk about taking your cities, your family, your marriage back for God, your company, you better be careful because one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to make God defend his will against you. 
He'll do that. He'll do that. He's merciful. He's kind. But he will defend his will against you if you don't chime in. If you don't get in line, he'll fight you because you're fighting him. Fortunately, in his mercy, he is merciful. But you want to make sure you're on his side. Joshua did the right thing by at least not engaging him who he thought was an enemy. Neither I am not for I, I am I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua gets on his face. Now, why did the did the captain of the Lord of hosts have his sword drawn? I think it was a message. I think he was trying to communicate to Joshua something beyond just the moment. Because I think Joshua had a seeking the Lord problem. Now, I am, I am really reticent to talk about anybody in critical terms whose head I will be looking at the back of in glory because they will be so close to the throne. Joshua, I'd have to live like 10 lifetimes to do half of what he did. So he's my hero. But there's no question that we can learn from these men and women in Scripture who may not have performed as admirably as they should have in certain times. And Joshua had a seeking the Lord problem because he was so confident in his abilities to strategize that he didn't think he needed to talk to God. So after this moment with Jericho, and we're going to talk about what the Lord reveals with respect to the strategy of how to conquer Jericho. After this moment with Jericho, when they do conquer the city, Joshua's feeling good. Victory was his. God has vindicated him through supernatural means again. It's an amazing moment. They go to the next city, I, A-I. And Joshua does what he normally does. He gets with his leaders. He sends out a band, two guys, to go and spy out I. They come back and say, the city doesn't have a lot of people. This could be a piece of cake. Let's just send 3,000 men. We'll be good. Nobody asks God. And they send 3,000 men. And that little city that should have been easy to conquer, defeat the 3,000, and 36 men die. 36 husbands, sons, fathers, uncles. Joshua gets on his face and says, God, what we are not supposed to lose. How did this occur? I'm doing your will. There's sin in the camp, Joshua. You didn't seek me. When they conquered Jericho, Jericho was to be the offering to God. It was the first fruits offering for the people of Israel and that they weren't supposed to take a thing from the spoils. Not one thing. Everything was under the ban, as they call it, and it was supposed to be only God's. There was one guy named Achan from Israel that took something, hid it in his tent, didn't tell anybody. God knew. And as a result, God did not give victory to Israel because of one man's sin. There's a lot of sermons in that. Be careful. Your sin matters to everybody. It's not that everybody needs to know it. It matters to everybody. As a result, when they went out to Ai, they lost. Now, if Joshua had asked God beforehand, the Lord probably would have revealed, don't go until you deal with this issue. But he didn't seek God. And here we have God 
defending his own will against Joshua. I will not prosper you and you will lose because my will is more important than yours. Sword drawn. It was a warning. Seek me. Don't just go on what you know. Don't go on what you're used to. Don't go on the way you've established victory in the past and glorify me for it. And I gave you the strength to make it happen. Don't do that. The, 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 the consequences and the, the, the spoils and the victories and, and all the stewardship that you're going to have afterwards are too great. This promised land thing is really important. What you did outside the land was one thing, but what you do inside is different. I'm telling you, seek me. Secondly, after the eye thing, they got it right. They went and conquered the city. Then some folk come from a place called Gibeon. Now, Gibeon happened to be in the promised land. But the people who came from Gibeon acted like they were from a long way away. They wore tattered clothes. They had, had hard, stale bread. Uh, their, their canteens were empty. And they, they told Joshua this, we have come from a long way because we've heard about your God how he vanquished everybody, the Egyptians, opened Red Seas for you. He's amazing. We want to strike a treaty with you so that you won't come and vanquish us. Even though we're outside of the promised land, we want to recognize that you are in charge and we'll pay tribute to you. Joshua, here's your conversation, invites all the elders in. They all talk about it and they get back with Gibeon and they say, great, glad you're here and we'll strike a treaty with you. All the Gibeonites go back home, and they find out later, these fellas are right around the corner. Nobody sought God. And now they had to have a treaty, had to honor their word for a people group that they were supposed to vanquish. Joshua had a seeking the Lord problem. Now, he had so many great qualities that I almost feel really bad to, to concentrate on this, this one little one. But it's important for you because you have to take your city. You have to strategize well. You've got to plan well. And in all of your planning and all of your strategy, make sure you don't forget to ask God. In all of your good parenting, reading all of James Dobson's books, and Dennis Rainey's books, I've read them all. And my kids are grown now. My youngest is 18. I'm pretty much done. <laughs> but in all of my strategy, right about the age of my oldest was 12, I realized I wasn't a good enough dad to figure this out. I didn't have enough information to equip me well enough. And if my kids had a better dad, they'd be better kids. I got the insight that my discipline of them needed to be reflective because everything they are doing wrong, they got honestly. It's me. They were born from me. And all they were was a reflection of my rebellion. God, please help me to be better. And so for a decade, I prayed and fasted once a week. Not for them to be right, but for me to get more right. God, please help me be a better parent. Please help me conquer my city. Help me know how to do it. Let the walls of, of bitterness or, or it, 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 
and not hearing dad because he's a certain bent, let those walls fall so that we can have access to one another without impediment. God help. I learned lessons. I learned what, what carpet glue smells like. <laughs> no, I never laid any in my life. I've just had my face buried in it. Because Brett just wasn't enough. And I needed God. And if you haven't smelled what carpet glue smells like, you haven't sought him enough. I might, be, I might be using hyperbole there, but I'm not going to apologize. So Joshua hears he's the captain of the Lord of hosts. And I imagine at that moment he's very grateful that he didn't draw his sword. Because <laughs> that one he would have lost. That one he would have lost. And he's thinking, oh, my goodness, I didn't know who you were. And when he realizes who he is, he knows what he needs to do. He gets right on his face. And he says, tell me what you want. What, what, what do you want to say to me? I, I'm here. And he's finally postured right. He was misaligned before. He was opposite God. And now he's prostrate before God. And the Lord speaks to him and gives him a strategy that is so strange. Nobody would have thought of this. I mean, we Christians have grown up. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. And we know exactly, it's like it's, it's second nature to us. But think about this. Here is a warrior. And God tells him, what I want you to do is I want you to get the priests in the choir. And I want you to have them carry the ark and walk around the city. Just walk, don't say a word, don't utter anything for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to have the choir, and I want you to have the priest, and I want you to have the ark lead all the warriors, all the warriors. It wasn't the men and women, it was the warriors. So these warriors, they're strapped. They're thinking, let's get it on. Let's get it on. And they're just walking around the city. You think Joshua really hurt? Hey, this don't make no sense to me. What kind of military strategy is this? I went to West Point. They didn't teach us none of this. <laughs> I don't know nothing walking around a city and not saying a word. We ain't engaging nobody. What, no, what kind of strategy is this? Six days of this stuff? You kidding me? I, I think he's, I, 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 he's a good man, but I think he got a screw loose. I really do. I think something's wrong with him. Something wrong with Joshua. Something wrong with Joshua. On the seventh day, they blow a trumpet. They shout like they've never shouted. They sing like they've never sung. They march like they've never marched. And the walls came. And all those men who had second thoughts about Joshua. Not bad. Not, not, not bad. You the man. You the man. You the man. You the man, dude. Ran upon the city. Took it. And remember, cities with walls were difficult for soldiers. In that age, they didn't have catapults. That came later. And so you, you couldn't take huge stones and hurl them at the walls. The only way to get into the city generally was to get close enough to break down the gates with a battering ram 
or close enough to burn down the gates with fire. But when you got close to the city, you also got close to the fire. The fire, not fire, fire, but the fire from the people on top of the walls down at you, throwing rocks and swords, uh, arrows, all kind of stuff. And so walls were, were dangerous things for soldiers to approach. That the walls came down? I cannot tell you how happy the soldiers were. This is a piece of cake. Thank you, Joshua. All of a sudden, as I have been with Moses, so I will be with you. You want God to show up in unusual ways in your life that will compound the victory exponentially that you could have wrought on your own. Seek him. He might give you some strange strategies, and it might be good if you hear something a little different to talk to somebody and say, what do you think about this, Pastor? Sometimes we don't hear as well as we could. And so we need to round out our revelation. But once we have determined that God has spoken, we move forward with it. And as a result of moving forward, God shows himself in ways not only to us, but to everybody else around us. That he is with us. And the benefit is this, that we take the city in ways that are much more concrete than if we had done it on our own and in ways that give God more glory than if we had done it on our own. So... I have no doubt that your family is going to be in order. I have no doubt that your business is going to be in better order. I have no doubt that this church is going to impact the entire New Orleans metropolitan area. And it's going to be in more order after you finished than when you started. But I know this, that I don't want anybody, whether it be my city or yours, to say Grace Covenant is amazing. Church of the King, wow, what a church. I want my community to say he is God. He's really God. He's in the heavens and he came to earth and he cares about me. That's what I want our community to say. And as a result, they'll find the people that represent them. You won't get lost in the shuffle, but you won't get the glory. God, I'm asking for your goodness and grace upon this people. Please help them to take their cities well. We honor you for the privilege of giving us this impossible task, impossible, but one that can be wrought through your power. Help us to fall in line and to seek you with all of our heart at every step along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you're great. Y'all give it up for Pastor Brett. Go ahead and stand on your feet if you don't mind. Let's hear it. Great job. Thank you so much, Pastor Brett.